Well, hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for uh, this night of worship. Uh, December 14th, 2020. We're uh, here recording a little bit early, um, but we feel that intensity of the end of the semester and everything that's due and some of your classes are done and then other ones aren't going to be done for a little bit of time, um, like maybe next week or the week after. And so a lot of you are pushing hard and working toward the end. And, and we just really want to encourage you uh, with this passage as we finish up our study uh, through the ministry of a man named Elijah in the Old Testament. And the three of us uh, uh, here today, uh, I'm Andrew Hodges. I'm one of our campus ministers. And uh, Abby uh, is with us as well. She's a freshman. And then Brayden, uh, Heron Dean. Um, so I really, really enjoyed uh, our conversations leading up to this one. So I'm really, really excited uh, to jump in. But this uh, semester and this whole, you know, basically this, this year has been very, very unorthodox and has been kind of a whirlwind for us. And so this study through Elijah has been very, very relevant. And we've had a lot of really good discussions with our life groups. And so we're really excited to kind of just wrap it all up and, and jump in and uh, finish this whirlwind and hopefully we can get out of the whirlwind and get our feet on stable ground. Um, we're so so pumped about our study for next semester which is going to be called Makings of a Messiah which is, is going to look at 15 different scenes of Jesus's life. Um, so we're really really looking forward to what God's going to do there. And so tonight, though, we're going to wrap up Whirlwind with a message called The Whirlwind of Change. And, and Abby's going to start first just kind of sharing some of her story and uh, how that fits into the passage uh, that we're studying tonight. Hi, everyone. My name is Abigail Camille. Like Andrew said, I am a freshman at IUPUI, and I am majoring in exercise science. And I want to talk about some of the changes in my life after reading the passages from this week. And throughout my life, I've had a lot of consistencies with my family and my school and my friends. One of the bigger changes that I had in my life was losing my grandmother when I was 17. And she was the closest older relative I had. She was my only grandmother left. And that really impacted me. It, I remember it very vividly. It was actually during December um, around the holidays. And it was very hard for me and my family. And a lot of the time I had to remember like why, um, why she was put on this earth and that I felt safe knowing that she was with God. Um, but as I've gotten older, I realized that um, I had to accept her death, which was one of the bigger changes in my life. It was out of my control. And I had like a whirlwind of emotions surrounding that. So um, the end of my high school career, I had changed my paths. I originally wanted to go into biology, but I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. And so I suddenly changed. I used to play volleyball for a few years and then I changed and I decided I didn't want to do that anymore. And I went into uh, student athletic training aid. And so I stayed with athletics, but I got experience doing rehab and working under the athletic trainer at my high school. So with all these changes going in through the end of my high school career, I decided my freshman year that I wanted to attend IUPUI. So the biggest change was coming to college. And obviously 
leaving my hometown of Laporte and going to a big city with new people, new classes. And definitely during this pandemic, everything was just crazy. And even though I'm still going through this semester, I will tell you um, that first day I got to IUPUI and my parents left, I felt it hit me where I was like, this is it. I'm an adult. I'm on my own. And it's something new. And I, I didn't know that I could feel so scared and excited at the same time. Um, in the first couple of weeks, I was actually so nervous about my major. I was like, is this the right major for me? What am I doing? Do I know what I'm doing? Am I supposed to be here? But I really had to put my trust into God and I prayed on it. And I went to my Bible groups and I was like, I really need help figuring this out but I stuck with my major and I'm so glad that I was able to go through these classes and I'm almost done with this semester and I'm excited that I can like finish strong and I'm excited to continue my career and every day like I face new challenges and changes with uh, my classes and with everything going on but I realized that I have so many resources around me I'm not alone my friends, my family are there to support me. Even though I'm on my own, on a new path, I'm not alone at all. And I feel like a lot of people can relate to that, especially with this pandemic going on. There's so many new changes happening every day. We have to adapt and we have to keep going. But where there's change, there's growth. And I feel like definitely um, these challenges have made me a stronger person. And I'm so glad that I was able to not only experience this, but experience it with other people. And coming to IUPUI has been one of the greatest opportunities in my life. And I'm, I'm so excited for these changes. And even though it's scary, I just remember that this is where I'm supposed to be. Right. Thank you so much, Abby. I, and uh, one of the reasons we wanted Abby to share is that she's been such a, you know, I know her life group uh, that she's in has been such a blessing to her um, but it has been obvious with her life group leaders that they, that she's been a blessing to them. And I think that that's kind of a cool thing to think about for all of our freshmen out there is that your presence in, in our life groups really matters. And um, as you're going through that change, uh, everybody else is too. And I think um, and what you said about change bringing about uh, something that is good and positive and things that God can teach us was, was just so good. And so let's go ahead and jump into our passage, uh, 2 Kings chapter 2. We're going to start with verses 1 through 6, and, and Braden's going to read that for us. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha, the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives, and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Wow, these, uh, these opening verses are pretty, pretty important and pretty powerful. 
Um, so when he said, when the, the scripture says that when the Lord is about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, um, God it, it basically is showing us that God is going to give us a glimpse of what is happening behind the scenes as both Elijah, which Elijah's name means the Lord is my God, and Elisha, whose name means God is my salvation, were able to step into these times of transition. and. Um, I think that it's just huge. Uh, Elijah would be translated into heaven, of course, and Elisha would be promoted to a position that he wasn't sure he was completely ready for. And I think that's what usually change does to us. It, it causes, it shakes us in such a way that we're like, I, I don't know if I'm ready for this. I, I don't think I'm prepared enough. I, I think I need to uh, do something a little bit more to prepare myself. And so they get this walk, which was about uh, from to Bethel was about a 13 and a half mile walk, uh, which would, would have given them ample time to talk and to have a great conversation about this transition and all the fears that were associated with this change that Elisha had, he would be able to express those to Elijah. And one of our campus ministers, another one of campus ministers, Alex, uh, was struck by the similarities between Elijah telling Elisha to stay and Jesus asking Peter three times if he loved him. And so you can see that in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. Whereas Elijah tells Elisha three times to stay in one place and be separated from his master, Peter claims he will not leave his master and then he denies him three times and separates himself from Jesus. So, and you know, we know Peter was having an incredibly hard time with that separation, so much so that at one point when Jesus had said that he was going to die on the cross, he said, no, you're not. And he took him aside and began to rebuke him. And Jesus actually had to kind of put Peter in his proper place and actually called him Satan uh, in that instance. But also another similarity is that both uh, there was, this was happening right before their master was to be lifted up and then also, that in both situations, the servant seems to be treated as the firstborn and given a double portion of the spirit. Elisha with the cloak falling from the sky, and Peter along with Jesus' other disciples having the Holy Spirit fall on them on the day of Pentecost. Um, and, and another thing that really sticks out to me in this, this first section is that it reveals that we don't enjoy hearing. You know, Elisha is apparently annoyed by these other prophets that keep saying the same thing. Three, uh, three different times, we hate hearing, uh, you know, a repetitive uh, answer about the inevitable over and over and over again. That doesn't do us any good in our own lives personally, but also for people that are surrounding us to remind us of something that is, that is pending, <laughs> impending, uh, that we are frustrated about. And so Elisha is noticeably frustrated and I think change does this to us. It causes us to fear what's about to happen. And then these outside voices that come in also distract us from what God is actually wanting to do in the midst of change, even though it might be uncomfortable. So let's go ahead and uh, jump into the next section of our passage, 2 Kings uh, chapter 2, verses 7 through 12. And uh, Abby's going to read that for us. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. 
the water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elijah, tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elisha went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his, of his garment and tore it in two. Wow. So this is the the whole reason why we, we named this study Whirlwind was because of this last passage, which that seems kind of odd to do. And then as we were kind of unpacking that whole idea, we realized that his entire ministry was nothing but a whirlwind. So this is a fitting departure for Elijah. And... Um, it says the scripture says that the river was divided and we can uh, be rushed assured that these 50 prophets were not expecting to witness what they did. Um, this is only the third scene in the Bible where waters part like this. Can you think of them? Um, Braden and Abby, uh, did you remember what, what those other two instances were? I know there's a lot of people that are out there probably racking their brains to think of when the, the waters parted. There's Moses. Moses, uh, the exodus out of Egypt. Yes, the Red Sea. Uh, Braden, can you name the other one? Not to put you on this. Well, we are putting you on the spot. I think if I remember right, the second one is Joshua. Hey, all right. Entering into the promised land, the Jordan River, their heels hit the water. And uh, in Joshua chapter 3, verse 16, the other instance was Exodus chapter 14, verse 21. So whenever God did a sign or a miracle like this in the Bible, uh, we oftentimes, I, I was in a small group one time when, when uh, one of my small group members was like, hey, I just wish God would just part the Ohio River and then a bunch of people would believe in him, you know? <laughs> and I was like, well, I don't know that they would actually. Uh, but every time that God did a miracle or a sign like this, uh, it was always confirmation of his favor and his blessing and his protection. And miracles, uh, they were not just for God to show off. Literally, God is showing off all the time. I mean, um, look around you at, at creation. As I was looking at a sunset uh, two nights ago with my daughter and just admiring the colors in the sky and the, the differential you know, between the clouds and the sun coming through the trees. It was just so beautiful. And uh, God is literally showing off all the time. But usually, uh, always when there was a miracle, they were always meant to validate God's words. And so when they reach the other side of the Jordan, Elijah gives Elisha uh, one request. Ask me anything you want. What is it? You know, and that, that's a very difficult um, thing to go about. Solomon had the same thing when God said, hey, ask for one thing and I'll give it to you. And he asked for discernment and wisdom to lead the people of God well. And so Elisha goes big. <laughs> he goes big. He says he wanted a double portion of Elijah's spirit. Wow. We think back of all the things that Elijah was able to accomplish because God's spirit was heavy on him and allowing him to raise the dead 
and uh, to do all these things, to outrun a chariot, the fire was falling from heaven at one point, um, as we think back through all the scenes of his ministry, and Elisha goes big. And I wonder if this is because of how inadequate Elisha felt. As you remember, when he was called, he was plowing with oxen. You know, I, I wonder if he just felt very, very ill-equipped uh, to fill this almost an impossible role uh, when Elijah is going to be taken. And maybe he thought this, maybe he thought, in order for me to get to Elijah's status, as weak as I am, I'm going to need twice as much from God. I'm going to need twice as much. I'm going to need a little bit more than Elijah had because I know what I am like. And I think a lot of us have felt like that. God, if you're going to use me like you've used people in the past, man, I'm going to need more. I'm going to need more. I'm going to need you to do something even greater because you know how weak I am. That encourages me. Uh, I know it encourages you uh, you two as well, Abby and Braden, because we, we talked about that. Um, because we know how weak we are. So Elisha, in asking for the double portion, is wanted to be treated as a firstborn among the prophets when it comes to sharing the spirit of power. That's, that's a quote from Ellicott. Love that. And it's amazing that their conversation continues as they walk along. We have no idea what they were talking about, but we do know that their conversation is abruptly interrupted. <laughs> a chariot of fire actually comes and separates them and you know you think about it singeing uh Elisha as he's thrown back and separated from his master and Elijah is taken up out of this realm into the spiritual realm uh, he is no longer with them he is with God he is absent from this reality and he was in the spiritual realm all of a sudden and I think that that's just really, really wild to think about. Um, Enoch, of course, is the only other person that we know of in the Bible in Genesis chapter 5, verse 24, that got this kind of treatment that was just translated. In that passage, it's very, very short. It says, Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Um, that's pretty wild. And, and of course, you can think about Jesus and his exit. You can read about it in Mark 16, 19, and 20. And I also believe that one of the reasons Elijah didn't continue to live after this point uh, in this reality it, and was translated to be in the presence of God was that re-entry would almost be impossible for him. I mean, how do you, how do you re-enter society after having the kind of ministry that he had? Uh, he hadn't always stayed positive right? He definitely wasn't positive. At one point, he asked God when he was hiding from Jezebel, he, he asked God to, to kill him. Uh, he definitely wasn't always positive, but he had always stayed faithful to the God who had called him from Tishbe to Samaria to confront Ahab and Jezebel. So someday, hopefully, we will hear the same words that Elijah heard when he entered into the throne room of uh, Revelation uh, chapter chapters four and five, as we see heaven as it currently is, uh, the words of Jesus in Matthew 25, 23, his master said to them, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. 
enter into the joy of your master. Man, if we were able to, to hear those words, and so hopefully someday we will hear those words from Jesus, what a relief of fulfillment to know that we did everything we could. We may not have always had the best attitude, but we remain faithful to Yahweh like Elijah. So let's uh, finish up our passage, finish up our scripture, uh, all these scriptures we've gone through for this semester with Elijah, verses 13 through 18. Braden, you want to close us up for the semester? Definitely. So Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. Then when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. The company of the prophets from Jericho, who were watching, said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Look, they said, we are your servants, have fifty able men. Let them go and look for your master. Perhaps the spirit of the Lord has picked him up and set him down on some mountain or in some valley. No, Elisha replied, do not send them. But they persisted until he was too embarrassed to refuse. So he said, send them. And they sent 50 men who searched for three days, but did not find him. When they returned to Elisha, who was staying in Jericho, he said to them, didn't I tell you not to go? This is kind of an I told you so passage to close out the semester. Uh, he's gone. He's not coming back. It's not like you're going to search hard enough. Uh, he is absent from this reality, and he is now in the presence of God with the four living creatures, uh, you know, and, and the 24 elders singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty uh, for all of eternity um, and until Jesus returns. And then, well, we won't get into that eschatology at this point, um, but Elijah is now gone. And so Elijah's spirit is immediately being put to work. And, uh, you know, Elisha takes the mantle. He literally takes up the mantle and he, he strikes the water. Where is the God of Elijah? And we don't know exactly what's going on here, but it, it seems as though Elisha is, um, he's, he's a little bit upset. He's a little bit bamboozled as to how he's supposed to move forward, but the waters part just like they did for Elijah. And so now Elijah is now sharing space with Abraham. He's sharing space with Deborah, David, Miriam, and so many others who are now um, in the complete presence of God. Uh, we know that the presence of God, of course, is all across the earth now, but in, in the fullness of the presence of God in heaven, which hopefully someday we will enter into that same reality. And, and I was thinking about change and why, why is change so difficult? Why is Elisha having such a hard time? Uh, he's feeling inadequate. He's feeling like, um, you know, a lot of emotions are rushing through him. I, I think our feelings sometimes can cause us to not think clearly and to think rationally. And then when we do think rationally, we feel so small and so insignificant that we can't accomplish what God is asking us to do. I think one thing that was really important to me as I was going through this passage is that even though I might feel inadequate and small and weak, um, God has me right where he wants me. And I, I think when a Abby mentioned this as we were preparing, but I think small changes are, are easy for us to 
adapt, you know, um, class got canceled today. Yay. You know, um, there's something like that, but, uh, a macro change, like someone in our family passing away or, um, being uprooted, uprooted to a brand new area. Uh, those are things that really, really shake us to the core. And I think in all of it, God is wanting to remind us of one thing that we need him in the midst of change. And I was thinking about my college experience and my, I, I played college basketball all, all four years and um, the workouts for basketball weren't going to start as soon as I wanted them to. So I thought, Hey man, maybe I went to a, a small Christian college. So I had this ability. I, I said, well, maybe, maybe it would be good for me to join the soccer team because then I can go earlier. And so I, I went to, to college uh, a month earlier than I was supposed to for soccer workouts. I thought, well, soccer, it'll just get me ready for basketball. What's the big deal for about soccer? And so we start the workouts and, you know, in basketball, it's 90 feet down and back, right? In soccer, it's 120 yards <laughs> down and back. And uh, when you get down, you didn't want to come back. And I had such a hard time adapting and changing to soccer, uh, my quads never did stop hurting. They almost still hurt from that experience. It was awful. Uh, I made it through all the workouts, and I played the first game, and then I actually quit, uh, which is embarrassing to admit to all of you. Um, but I didn't adapt to the change very well because I wasn't willing to stick it out. I wasn't willing to swallow my pride and say, hey, I'm not very good at this. Um, but this is going to take time. This is going to take time and a lot of humility. And I think those are two things that we need to think of in, in times of change. That we got to give God time to do what he has always done in the lives of his people. Right? If we'll give God enough time, uh, the Bible calls that sanctification, where he makes us more and more like his son Jesus every day. If we'll give him enough time, there is nothing that God can't do in and through our lives. I hope that all of us believe that today. And I hope also we approach it with humility to say, you know, I'm not the greatest. <laughs> uh, my strength eventually will run out. And the only way I'm going to do this is if we have the God of Elijah on our side. And we take that mantle and we strike the water. And we say, God, if you don't show up, this is going to be a disaster. And so, um, Brayden, I really want, want you to kind of close out our time uh, being able to share your story and, and what God has been uh, teaching you as we looked at this passage. I shared my story, which is similar, actually, uh, to Abby's, but I'd like, like for you to close us out, and then maybe we can have a little bit of encouragement at the end and be done with our time. Definitely. Thank you, Andrew. Um, so, like he introduced me as before. My name is Brayden Herendine. Um, I'm a junior and a business student at IPY and serve as the VP of service for CSF. Um, when I was thinking about how this um, lesson plan really applied to my life, I began to think about my um, career transitions and what I wanted to do throughout my life from the point of high school through now. And I've had two major changes in what I've wanted to do, one in high school and one in college. Um, I'll talk about both briefly. Um, and I think it'd be beneficial for people who are kind of uncertain 
about where God is trying to direct them and um, translating their vocation as far as their work life and to their spiritual life and combining the two to make it more um, cohesive. So at first I wanted to be an aerospace engineer. Um, growing up as a kid, I was always into um, building things, learning how things worked mechanically, analytics. Um, I was a strong math and science student. Um, and I really just wanted to, my goal was to be able to work on um, something like an aircraft carrier or an air base and work on like Apache gunships and AC-130. Oh, that would be so cool. And bombers and being able to design surface to air missiles and um, work on military tech that I had seen growing up in the shows that me and my dad watched together and just live out my childhood fantasy as part of my dream job. And I got into um, dedicated engineering classes in high school. And as soon as I got into classes like thermodynamics and ballistics and programming, I realized that while I was, I could still succeed at it, I was inherent, there was an inherent struggle behind it. And I could see peers of mine where it was clear that they had much, much more of a capable mind for something like that than I did. And I would be pushing against the grain for the rest of my life to be able to succeed at that vocation. And I wasn't enjoying it. It wasn't something where I would have enjoyed the challenge simply for challenge sake. It would have been, I would have been miserable in order to succeed. And I recognized then, especially talking to my engineering teacher at the time, because my first B ever, um, I was a student who always pushed to be head and shoulders above all the rest of my um, classmates because that's what I felt was expected of me. And that was my first beat that I ever got was in my secondary engineering class. And my teacher eventually, one, comforted me the fact that a beat was okay because I needed to learn that lesson, but also recognized that while I was a good science student and while I was good at math, my purpose really was elsewhere. And that really hit me hard, but got my brain thinking. And from that point on, I diverted to life sciences and tried that out. I took my high school offered organic chemistry and biochemistry and anatomy and um, a bunch of different college level courses that kind of gave me a um, baseline for what life sciences might be like. And many of our closest family friends in my family are um, esteemed doctors. So I got the chance to talk to them and see what their careers were like. And it became very interesting to me. And that's what I came into um, undergrad as, was a biology student. And I decided that I wanted to try and do pediatric cardiology. I wanted to be around kids. And um, my family has a history of heart issues. And I wanted to be able to work on kids' hearts to hopefully help them have a better future than what some of my um, previous lineages have had to deal with. And I ran into the same problem pretty quickly where I was good at what I was doing, but I was pushing against the grain compared to my peers and I just wasn't enjoying it. I was miserable. And it caused my freshman experience to be extremely difficult and extremely depressing. It, I wasn't able to connect really with much of anyone. I was involved in extracurriculars. I wasn't able to work like I wanted to. 
and I was spending seven days a week, at least 12 hours a day, either in class or working on schoolwork. And I wasn't achieving what I wanted to. And I got a real reality check when my freshman year, it seemed like every encounter I had with someone who was older than me, whether it be my parents, or family friends, or advisors, everyone hinted at that they didn't think that what I was doing was what I was meant to do and that I was meant for something else. Like when I told people I wanted to be a doctor, they'd hesitate. When I um, mentioned that I was planning on going to medical school, they would kind of have this wince to their face as almost like they had a thought in their head that they weren't willing to spill out. And eventually in January, my freshman year, I finally like sat down and just realized I need to figure out something else. And I went to a firm about 20 minutes north of Indianapolis and took a career test. It was about six or seven hour long test that was minute in every detail and realized when I got my results back, I was in the bottom 10th percentile for every single science field involving life sciences and even further down for mathematical sciences and just realized that I was completely in the wrong ballpark for what God wanted me to be in. And it just so happens I was 98th percentile for business. And wow. that was one of those moments where I was like, I, I really don't know. And looking at the results, it was crazy that the advisor even mentioned that to me because the first, my top two results were um, secretary at a dental office. I was like, okay, well, that's not going to work out because I want to get as far away from life sciences at this point as possible or public protection services, which is something I physically can't do um, because of past injuries and past circumstances, but that'd be a story for another time. So my third result was business. And the first two didn't even get mentioned. I was like, okay, so why did these top two not even get mentioned? And that was another thing where I realized, okay, so God pointed me directly in the path I needed to go down and didn't even bother with the stuff that of discouraging me with stuff I knew I couldn't do. And this past my sophomore year and this semester at junior year, even with all the COVID circumstances has been a really big refresher because yes, the work has been very challenging, but it has also, I have a sense of purpose and a sense of passion for what I'm doing that I didn't even remotely have before. And what I kind of wanted to end this off with was a story from um, actually one of the doctors that I look up to that is the father of my um, best friend. And when I kind of heard how he got into the situation he did professionally, it really hit me that I, of where my focus um, is and where our focus is as a church versus um, where his was and kind of how the outcomes differed. So he went into medical school um, in New York and sought out to be a cardiologist. And he was weeks away from um, completing medical school and then realized that he didn't want to do medicine anymore because he had been pushing for so long to try and succeed and finally eased up and realized that that's not what he wanted to do. And he had to keep doing it because he had waited so long to um, go against every, the entire push that it was just too late. He was a quarter million in debt 
from student loans and just couldn't realistically stay in college to um, do anything else for fear of being in poverty for the rest of his life. So he had to change vocations and for the entirety of his professional life has now been working to try and retire as quickly as possible because he's hated his job ever since he got it. And it's just one of those things that was so like, it was such a light bulb in my head of realizing that we might not need to enjoy our work as far as a feeling perspective, but we need to have passion for it enough to be able to push every day, get out of bed, get in the workplace and realize that we're benefiting the kingdom of God in some way, either on an individual level or on a macro level and not necessarily think about it for the money or whether it's going to be a fun job or whether it's going to necessarily fulfill your feelings of like a childhood dream that you have but is it going to be something that you can consistently do feelings come and go and that's kind of why we strive for a sense of joy rather than a sense of happiness happiness is more of an emotion joy is more of a sense of fulfillment i mean i i think of like jesus' sacrifice the entire day before he was begging God to let him not do it. But he realized that out of his sense of love and joy for the human race, that he needed to do that. He didn't want to, but that was the work he set out to do. And I wanted to um, bring that perspective to my vocation and have found that sense of passion to be able to work to help um, people of God. Now I'm striving for wealth management where I can sit down with families and help them plan out their finances in a way that benefits them so that they can have more time as a family, have less stress on their life, and hopefully be pointed in a spiritual sense towards God and towards other um, areas of life besides just trying to make enough money to survive. And I really hope that this semester with the turbulent ministry of Elijah and his radical following of God, even when it didn't make sense, kind of brought some perspective on doubt is okay. And it's okay to question what God is wanting you to do, but you need to be willing to have an opening ear to listen and be willing to accept when you can't do something or when it's very challenging and very unenjoyable for you. And you feel that God is tugging on your shoulder to be willing to take a second, breathe, and listen to what he has to say. Wow. Amen. I love that. Thank you so much. And and one of the things I love about uh, your story, Braden, is that you had that courage to make that change. And uh, Abby, same thing with you. You had the courage to make that change, to come to Indianapolis. And, and it's almost etched in your mind of your parents leaving you, and you're like having to go through this. And and you made a good decision by getting into a life group, plugging in, uh, surrounding yourself with friends that can build you up in your faith and can encourage you professionally, um, that can help you academically as well. And uh, so I'm so proud of both of you uh, taking those steps of, of faith. Um, and uh, because our faith is in a com compartmentalization between you, when I go to church and, and when I do this and when I read my Bible, it is literally our entire lives uh, as a whole. And so thank you for being willing to share and being open and vulnerable. It, it really does make a difference. And, 
And as we close out our time, we just want to encourage you like we always do, those of you who have not made the decision to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you have not confessed him as your Lord and Savior, you have not believed with your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, we want to encourage you to make that decision today, best decision you could ever make. And then in the Bible, uh, as soon as someone had made that decision to believe in Jesus and confess him as Lord and Savior, they were baptized. And we had a student actually, uh, well, this is, today's the seventh, and this is going to come out on the 14th, but uh, Lauren Golian was baptized into Christ yesterday by her fiance, our student president, Luke. And uh, what an amazing thing to rejoice with, with the two of them uh, at Indian Creek Christian Church of uh, the Creek yesterday. Um, but we just want to encourage you, and one of the things Lauren actually said, and I, I don't know if she's going to she'd mind me sharing this. I'm sure she wouldn't, but uh, she said, all of us have next steps of faith to take, right? And so the question to ask today is, what is your next step of faith? Maybe it is a, a change of your major. Uh, maybe it's actually to, instead of um, being feel like you're, you know, a reminder that you're in the right field to study. Uh, maybe it's just to lock down and, and uh, be more faithful and a change of attitude. Uh, we don't know what that is, but we pray that you would take that step of faith today. Let's, let's close in prayer. God, thank you so much for our time together. God, uh, change is coming. It's inevitable. Um, it was coming for Elisha, and he kept being reminded of it, and it was hard for him. But God, you used his ministry as well as Elijah's to make a difference in so many people's lives right off the bat. And so, God, we pray that you would do the same in our lives. We want to pray for everyone out there that uh, needs to take a step of faith in whatever area of life that is. And I pray that they would have the courage to take that step today. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.